DKS35 is powered by Cliff Central, uncensored, unhinged, and unradio. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at Digital Kung Fu ZA or follow us on Facebook.com slash Digital Kung Fu ZA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, hustlers big and small. It's an honor to have you join this uber special installment of the Digital Kung Fu Show. I'd like to start things today with a quote. Quote, when you take the free will out of education, that turns it into schooling. End quote. Uh, by the way, that's a quote by John Taylor Gatto, if you'd like to look that up on the show notes. Um, anyhow, so I want to talk about the educational system of today. When you look at that system, it is fraught with problems. And this is especially true in developing economies like South Africa and so on. One only needs to look at the hashtag Feasmus Fall movement to get a sense as to the underlying current that is affecting and affecting the educational system. So this puts a great emphasis on what is called, quote, informal education, end quote. You see, in South Africa, for example, many youngsters simply cannot afford basic education. And even if they can afford it, the quality of education that kids are receiving leaves much to be desired. To put that in perspective, the 2015 metric pass rate in South Africa was only 70.5%. And some even argued that the real pass rate is as low as 43.7%. So what does this all mean? Well, it clearly puts significant pressure on the future of South Africa's youth and ultimately South Africa's future economic growth. So. It's not good, but it's not over. Mark Sham is a serial entrepreneur and a man who is on a mission to change the educational landscape of South Africa. It's not often that you come across an entrepreneur who is truly living not only his passion, but also his purpose. It's infectious to say the least, and I'd be very surprised if this episode doesn't get you super pumped to make your own dent in the world as an entrepreneur. And that, in my view, is what makes this episode truly epic. So without further ado... Enter Mark Sham. How's it, guys? And welcome, welcome, welcome to the 35th edition of the Digital Kung Fu Show. That number keeps growing for some reason. <laughs> A labor of love, or oh, I don't know. But uh, anyhow, I'm your host, Matt Brown. And today I'm hugely excited to have with me on the line. Uh, a serial entrepreneur, Mark Sham. Uh, Mark, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat. Matt, what a privilege to be here. Thanks very much, man. No, the privilege is all mine, I, I promise. <laughs> but uh, why don't you, uh, there's obviously guys you won't know who the hell Mark Sham is. Um, so why don't you kick us off with uh, who you are and maybe some of the headlines of uh, your entrepreneurial uh, journey to date. How did you get started, all that kind of good stuff? Sure. Um, it's a good question. Uh, I've had a very interesting uh, route to being an entrepreneur. I guess entrepreneurship starts with curiosity. And the desire to, or, or the thought that you could do things better. Uh, so since I could ever remember, I, I would look at the way people did certain things and think, you know, that's not bad, but I'm pretty sure there's a better way to do it. And there we go. Um, I guess I was kind of forced into entrepreneurship in a way because uh, I was doing really well at school. And then I got expelled 
at school, which pretty much ended my my chances of of doing something major from a university perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite a pity because my marks were really good. I was actually a good student because I was a good studier, which I think is a separate skill set from mm-hmm. actually being smart. What did you get expelled for? I got expelled as well, by the way. Okay. <laughs> it was like kindred spirits. Um, it's going to sound really bad. It's not as bad as it, it is, but um, I hit a a parent of a student who was chasing after me because I'd had a fight with his son. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The things that happen there. <laughs> 17 years old. I had no clue. He was running after me. And the only thing I could think of was to turn around at some point and hit him with my backpack. Yeah. That's called the competitive advantage. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean that kind of, threw things out a little bit and I actually had a scholarship opportunity waiting for me, which kind of went out the water and I guess I could have picked it up at the time, but it just, the other problem that I had was, you know, you're 17, 18, what do I study? I don't know what I want to do with my life. And everybody gives you that king size advice that really means fuck all. So, Mm. you know, there, there I was, um, I got started working and I worked for a boss up until about 23 and those five years were a mixed bag up and down moderate success, but just didn't have the same motivation. So in one weird random swoop, I just one day decided that's it. I'm quitting and I'm starting my own business. I had a bit of money saved. And uh, the the natural thing for me to start was a little digital marketing agency because I thought I understood social media quite well. This was was long ago. This was 2008. So so it was early. And um, actually the worst thing that happened to me was that the first six months, I actually did very well and I never really understood entrepreneurship and I just thought, okay, cool. Things are going now. So I can just sit back and enjoy my life. And then the financial crisis hit, things went all over the show and uh, the bank was calling me in 2010 to tell me they're going to take my house. Yeah. And there's nothing like a bit of desperation to get you going. Yeah. That'll keep you motivated. Eh? Absolutely. So, so from, from there, really, the, the long story short is that I, I tried my hand at a few things. Um, I started an online fragrance store, which actually did quite well for a little while. And then I opened up a physical store, and then that drew me into debt. Um, I started presenting one-day workshops on social media, which the funny thing was at the time when I started doing it, I actually was just looking for someone to help me. There was no one around who could teach social media. No, and then one day, my dad actually, he, he was the one who helped the penny drop. He said to me, you know, there's no social media school that anybody can go to. Why don't you just do it? And so that's exactly what I did. I started this uh, one day workshop teaching businesses about social media. The whole thing blew up. Suddenly I was doing it around the country and uh, it actually got me out of all my debts and I've never really looked back since. Yeah. Amazing. So one of the things um, that entrepreneurs don't do is develop multiple streams of income. Now you are the owner of a group of companies. So let me just share this with our listeners, right? So (laughs) you own a CrossFit gym, a restaurant, bar, a water dispensing company, a digital marketing agency. And then of course, Suits and Sneakers, which also has a co-working space in Greenside here in Johannesburg. So how the hell do you manage your time across all these ventures? So I guess the first way to start is that it sounds more glamorous than it really is. A lot of the things I got involved in um, from a young, you know, as I started making money, something in my brain said, don't go spend it on a fancy car and a really nice house. So the thinking at the time was maybe I could be a Richard Branson and try open 
uh, different businesses. I didn't try open these businesses purposely either. You know, some things just happened. Like my best mate really got into the CrossFit thing and I loved his enthusiasm. And I saw that there was a market at the time. And so I offered to fund it. So I kind of became a 50% shareholder in a business that, that kind of ran without me uh, and still does to this day. Uh, the restaurant bar really came about because when I got myself into big trouble around 2010, the one thing I used to do in my early 20s was run nightclub events. So I kind of went back to the drawing board. It was the one thing I knew I could make money from, quick and easy money. And so I somehow ended up owning a share of this, this social club, really, uh, that we have, which I still have, but I'm in the process of selling. Uh, the water dispensing company simply came about because it represented the first opportunity to create annuity income. And that's a business I'll never let go of. Um, but these days I'm trying to focus. So we, I'm in the process of selling the gym, selling the bar and restaurant. And so my focus has become, I guess, the digital agency that we have, which keeps me alive. But my passion, the thing that just wakes me up every single morning is suits and sneakers. Yeah. Let's talk about that because you describe suits and sneakers as the university of informal learning. Uh, can you unpack that for us? Absolutely. This is the part that gets really exciting for me. Suits and sneakers, you know, it's always hard to explain to some people because it's different things to different people. But I guess the thing it represents point blank is it's, it's my attempt at kind of trying to fix South Africa. I think that when you look around at the issues at play, as we speak, it's largely due to a lack of education. We have this massive gap between the rich and the poor. Um, we exploit cheap labor because that's the structure that's been left with us. And I think that capitalism in itself has also created this gap that's widening. And the, when, I, when you see a, a, this massive gap between rich and poor, I think what happens is there's inequality and you're effectively telling a group that they're not as important as the other group. And it creates massive unrest. And you can see it in everything we do in South Africa. There's this massive unrest because there's a big gap between those who have and those who don't have. So I think the way to get out of that issue, that mess, is education. But I think that the current system of education is just so broken. And I think it's largely documented. But it's, we live in a time of technology, of exponential growth. And I think that the, the internet is going to start providing us with massive gains in education so really what suits and sneakers is for me it's just my attempt at at showing people that you can kind of be anything and do anything you don't necessarily have to go to university to do those things you could use the internet informal learning informal education to teach yourself anything you want at any stage of your life yeah i think there's two things i want to say there when you look around South Africa at the moment, we we're talking about this just before we started uh, recording, was the disaster uh, state of many of the universities in South Africa yeah. um, and how the students are effectively, you know, rebelling against the systems that have been imposed on them. And many of them obviously from the apartheid area and it's just a result or an unfortunate eventuality as to the one states or lack of access to education and two affordable education. And I suppose these things really um, put the informal learning space firmly or front and center as alternatives to uh, students or aspiring students today. Um, and so what I thought might be interesting to explore with you is what are some examples of informal learning 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Well, Matt, one of the reasons I'm a big fan of yours um, is I love the fact that uh, you're creating local podcast content. For me, and I'm going to be as bold to say this, I think that radio is dying. And I think it's a shit thing to listen to. I think that there's so much better things you could do with your time than the radio. So a great example of informal learning to me is podcasts. A lot of us get into our car each and every day we could be using that time to learn, to gain perspectives. Some of the best, pod, the best you know, international podcasts out there, but Tim Ferriss's uh, anything to do with Seth Godin or Peter Diamandis. There's so much information out there that we could be listening to every single day and for free. So I think podcasting is a big part of my life uh, and my ritual in that I probably listen to podcasts two to three hours a day, separated. You know, it's just whenever I get into car, the car to go to a meeting, uh, when I'm training at gym. That's one example. TED Talks is a great example of informal learning. Mm -hmm. There's so much information out there uh, from a TED Talk perspective. And the cool thing about TED Talks, uh, even though it's well commercialized, you can listen to a different TED Talk every single day and learn something brand new about a topic that you know nothing about. And, and And so once you start getting into TED Talks, for example, you might watch a TED Talk about a specific topic. And then that might pique your interest. And then the whole internet is just sitting there waiting for you to explore that topic further. So if you watch something about a certain breed of pandas that happen to be dying in a certain part of the world, and I'm being facetious, but you could literally plug into that niche via the internet, you know, at the click of a finger. Yeah. Um, Yeah. so, So TED Talks, podcasts, reading, just general books. I think there's still a place for reading. It's a different kind of art form. Um, and then blog posts these days, you know, I've set my social media channels in a specific way that I get to read some really great content throughout the day from really good content creators. So for me, just, I guess that's informal education and then going to talks, physically going to a lot of different talks, listening to different people. Yeah. Um, so let's explore a little bit more about suits and sneakers. So by the way, I love the brand name. Uh, I think it's awesome. I was like, fuck, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> One of those moments. Uh, and then, so, so, so for me, uh, there's two things I just want to work in the brand space. Was there a specific meaning behind it? And then secondly, what have you learned about building the brand suits and sneakers? Those are two great questions. There's a very specific meaning behind the name. You can see how excited I'm getting. Um, Suits and sneakers to me, we were sitting around the office thinking about a name for quite some time. I was getting very frustrated. What I was trying to do was 
was look at a name that would mean this balance between formal and informal. Because I don't think we want to throw formal education out the window. I don't want a doctor to watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos and then drill into my skull. It's a place for informal learning. So I think think we just need a balance between formal and informal suits and sneakers. And I think the the lines become blurry between those two. Mm. And I always, I always use this example that in up until recently, the thing that got us by was formal education. And I always think of formal education as putting on a suit, but a suit is actually not great attire for everyday life. Like you don't go to bed in a suit. You don't go to gym in a suit. You don't have your most productive conversations with the average person in the world in a suit that you do in sneakers. So you just need to know the balance between the two. And I think that's what the world's become about. Okay, cool. And then on the other note that you, you asked, um, I've learned some really valuable lessons. Probably the best one is that there's a place for charging money for something and offering and delivering a value. And there's a place for offering something for free. Uh, I think the world has moved to a place where it works on the give to get mentality. Mm-hmm. So the suits and sneakers brand has grown so rapidly. If I'm honest, largely because we give a lot of value away at no cost. And people at first were like, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the trick? What's going on here? But we're just on to show our whole thing is we believe that education should be free to the masses. And we don't want that to, we don't want price to stand in the way of someone learning something valuable. Yeah. So I've just met the most fascinating. And then I've learned suit and sneakers has just taught me the value of permanently being on the front foot. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the meat and potatoes behind what you do at Suits and Sneakers. So, so from what I understand, it's, it's an actual event. So it's similar to TEDx. So for instance, you've got um, an event coming up on November the 16th, which includes guests like um, Adriana Marie, Kaya Delanga, and my personal favorite, Carl Fassman, who in my view is one of the best storytellers and interviewers in the history of humankind and on, on the planet. So, I mean, I, when I was blown away when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, uh, I have to go and see this guy or I need to at least get access to this content because, I mean, he's interviewed like Jimmy Carter, Muhammad Ali, Robert De Niro, and I don't know whether you've heard the two interviews he's done on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Yes, so that's actually how... Um how I heard about him in the first place. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I heard about him. I, I had heard his name briefly before, but um, I didn't pay too much attention. And then one day it was time to listen to another podcast. Tim Ferriss was on. And I swear those first 15 minutes, Cal had me hooked. Yeah. And I took a ringer, to be honest with you. I contacted him via his website. Uh, I wasn't really expecting him to get back to me because I've tried to get hold of people like Tim Ferriss and Peter Diam Anderson than before and try to bring them to South Africa. But it's, it's not a good enough prerequisite anymore to just want to bring them to the country. You kind of have to know a whole bunch of people. Um, By the way, speaking of that, your tweet to Tim Ferriss, I love that video. It was like so heartfelt and like, dude, like I feel like I know you. you know? <laughs> I was like, fuck. And then I was like, Jesus, guy's got a pair of balls in him to like go out there and then Oaks are like retweeting it and the whole thing. Did he ever come back to you or like do anything? Or was it just gone? Yes. Awesome? He, he actually did via one of his uh, personal assistants. And it just turned out that my timing was quite poor because he was in the midst of writing a new book. I think it's called something to do with Titans. And um, he basically made a decision to lock himself out of anything and everything 
excepting if a Google came for an interview or yeah. something really big. If it was someone kind of in our caliber, uh, not Google, anybody not Google, he <laughs> basically decided no. But it just it was just quite incredible, again, when you have a go, uh, the response you get. Like you say, a whole bunch of people retweeted it and it, it, I still have people asking me to this day, what happened with Sam Ferris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of your defining moments, man. But, uh, but we're kind of on the detour here. So what did he actually say? Is he going to come... Are you going to see him when you go over there or are you, is it just bad timing? No. So he, I, I I've already uh, come and gone to the U S or gone and come back. Okay. Um, so I kind of missed that shot and I was hoping to just meet with him in person, but um, there, I think there's a, there's definitely a gap there. And now that Cal's coming out, it's not the aim obviously to measure mm. Cal about Tim Ferriss, but you know, they've obviously got some kind of connection and I've got a feeling that if Cal comes out here for a week, loves his life, and he's able to go back to quite a few interesting people and say, you know, South Africa was actually really interesting. And I went for this thing called suits and sneakers and just give it a bit of credibility. Uh, I think there's a bright future ahead for bringing international guests. Yeah. 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 So what do the guests generally speak about? So this is the cool part. I normally pick the guests because I find them interesting. And oftentimes we try to pick a topic together. So let me go back one. If you take the last suits and sneakers in March, I had uh, these four speakers. I had Vusi Timbaquaya. I had Tony Leon, the former leader of the DA. I had a comedian named Dusty Rich. And I had a mentalist named Gilan Gork. Uh, most of those names people will know in some spheres. Mm. So I went to each of them with their own strengths. For example, I went to Tony Leon and said, this is not a political bashing opportunity. This is, you've got a great opportunity to teach people something they didn't know. So he was able to speak about this, the war stories between him and Mandela, but for the good. You know, think about that job for a second. Imagine having to oppose someone like Nelson Mandela, a guy with that kind of legacy. But his argument was for every number one, there had to be a number two keeping him honest. Mm. And so he told this whole story about how they, how they kind of kept each other honest. It was really cool. You know, you then had someone like Dusty Rich, the comedian, coming on talking about career advice from the other angle. In other words, most kids are told by their parents, become a doctor, lawyer, and accountant. No one ever says become a comedian. Sometimes I think it's valuable to listen to career advice from a guy who was told his whole life not to do something and then became highly successful at it. (laughs) So there's an angle right there. If you take someone like uh, Gilan Gork, he had this really cool deal about body language and how to use it effectively. So that was his talk. And then finally we had Vusi Timbukwayo, who spoke about a topic that he's very passionate about called Big Law of Small Business. And his rhetoric was really, hey, small businesses are cool, but they, should, they don't always have to stay small. Why is there this mentality that small businesses have to stay small? Why don't we look to grow them aggressively? He just said it's a mentality. So if you think about those four topics, they almost have nothing to do with each other. And that's the point. It's informal learning you're going to come there and you're going to get a tidbit from these four guys on a variety of topics. Hopefully they're going to teach you something about each of those topics that you, that mm. you never knew anything about. Yeah. That's very interesting. What made you choose the event or kind of conference format to deliver that sort of storytelling platform? Yes. Well, I think two, two things there. One was the, you mentioned the meat and potatoes of suits and sneakers. What suits and sneakers is really trying to do is disrupt education on one end 
and also disrupt training and development in the workplace. Mm. And if I, if I take the part I'm really focusing on at the moment, so training and development in the workplace, oftentimes we, we approach training and development uh, in this way. We say to each other, hey, Matt, you want to get into the best shape of your life? Cool. Let's go to the gym tomorrow morning for like 12 hours. Let's fuck ourselves up and then not go for another month. And then we'll repeat this once a month for 12 months. And then hopefully in 12 months, we're in the best shape of our life. Like that mentality makes no sense, but that's how we treat training and development. So Matt and Mark go to work every single day and all we do is work. And then when we need to upskill ourselves, we get put on a one day training workshop every three months. If we're lucky. And we think that that's going to fix things. So I'm trying to get into the e-learning space because I believe that e-learning is going to scale far greater in much the way Airbnb scales far greater than the higher total. But the higher just can't compete because it has to physically put up another building every time it wants to try. Mm. And so I think the same thing for, for education that we, we can't solve issues with one day training workshops and we can't solve issues by sending people back to varsity. It has its place, but it doesn't scale. And online e-learning is the thing. But since I don't have that space all waxed, I don't have it perfectly figured out. The next best thing I could do was create a really big fucking noise. Like make a loud noise so that people get to know you and deliver value first and start to teach people, you know, create an awareness around what informal learning really is. What, what is informal education? How do we use it in our everyday life? And the best way I could do that was let's get a thousand people to a venue and let them listen to four interesting speakers. Yeah. I love that. That's very, very cool. Cause you also talk quite openly on social media about power and numbers and, a, and, you know, a, a coming together in order to affect real change. Um, and so that really resonates with me, uh, quite a lot as I'm sure it does with many others. Um, and so that's the precursor to my question, which is what has the response been like from attendees? We, we have, we, I have to, I guess I'm biased, but uh, we do do quite a bit of research after each event to understand. So the first event took place in July last year. Uh, we had a thousand people attend the event and actually one of the people who really helped me out as a, a former guest on your show, Gareth Cliff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. spoke at the first ever suits and sneakers and, and really what he did by being there was he just gave me one credible name, a name that people went, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, so we ran that event and each time we run the main event, we record the talks and we put them online afterwards. So once we did that, the, the first event was by far the hardest because people were very confused. What are you running? And I was like, well, it's a conference, but not really a conference because most conferences are shit boring. And they're not trying to do that. Yeah. Don't be shit. Yes. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the first event came and, and went. It was obviously the first event. I had such high expectations for it. Uh, and then it, it finished and I realized you can't get everything perfect your first event. We ran the second one, 1,500 people, different speakers. That was really good. People loved the speakers. The third one now, the one that I was talking about earlier in March, that was a big step up because we went from a little uh, venue in the West Ranch to Santon Convention Center. We had names that people recognized. We did it properly. We had sponsors. And I think that really kicked us. I don't know if you and I would be having this conversation today if it wasn't for that third event. I don't know. Maybe and, not uh, today, but uh, yes. at some point, <laughs> I'll get everyone on the show. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that. 
Um, but and certainly it set us up well moving into this fourth event that's about six weeks away um, at this time of recording. And as well, it even gave us a chance to open up this co-working space. So the responses have been good. Obviously, when you have such an array of different speakers, you know, someone is going to be less impressive for you than the next. But that's why we have three or four different speakers, so that at least two or three of the speakers really hit home for you. And people are, are willing to sacrifice one versus the other. But again, whenever we do this research, you know, one guy, Matt will say to me, oh man, I really love Dusty. He was really great because he was loud and theatrical. And then someone will say, I really love Tony Leon because he was classic and I love war stories. And so it's just a matter of you know, yeah. subjective opinion. You can never please anyone. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. You can never, <laughs> you can never please everyone all of the time. So the fact, I mean, variety really is the spice of life. I mean, hence why, you know, all the guests that come on this, on this show is they all have a different story to tell. And each one, you know, has some different form of insights about a far broader subject, which is in your case is informal learning. So it definitely works. And by the way, I can't say this enough and I'm not, I'm not trying to lick your ass. You've really <laughs> done a great, I, I, I just love when someone takes the scruff, you know, life by the scruff of the neck and the fact that you're creating local content. You know, I'm in the process of listening to every single episode that you've put online. I think I'm about six or seven episodes in. Awesome. So, uh, well played. Yeah. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Um, but enough about me. <laughs> it's uh, embryonic. It's just, a, you know, great to, to actually have, I will say this uh, on the point that you made there. And I'm, I'm very, very humbled and grateful that I get access to people like yourself. Like when I started um, Digital Kung Fu, it wasn't actually to, um, to do what it's, what it's kind of grown into. It was actually the original idea was to give big agency advertising thinking and knowledge capital to the small, smaller businesses. Hence why it was called uh, digital Kung Fu. Yes. Um, and so I was actually talking to Vincent Maguenia earlier this week. He was the former communications chap for the president Zuma in his first term. Um, and this is why I was talking to him about a possible rebrand from digital Kung Fu to entrepreneur Kung Fu because it's more relevant now. Um, but anyway, one of the things he mentioned about digital Kung Fu, he said oh, he wouldn't throw that away. He would keep it. And that what he likes about that particular property is that it lends itself rather well to technology. And in the context of South Africa, it's an important one because, and even in the informal learning context as well, uh, ordinary South Africans battle with access to uh, technology or platforms that enable them to effectively consume informal learning type information. I mean, just take internet access, for instance, you know, but everybody has a mobile phone, but it's not a smartphone. And there's lots of these kind of technology barriers that really, I mean, they, they're slowly dissolving, but they're very much still, uh, you know, a, um, a, a, a barrier to scale as, as it were. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? How, ca- how do you see things unfolding and what's, what advice or insights do you see on the table for entrepreneurs there? Well, Matt, I just want to take it back a step. I slightly disagree with you on this end. I think that we, you know, if you follow the musings of someone like Peter Diamandis, and I, I love that man, he really subscribes to this notion of exponential technology. And I think, you know, he always uses this example to explain how bad human beings are at understanding exponential. But we're living in a, a time where, where technology is just so ramping up exponentially 
and I think it's just a matter of time before everybody has the access that you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you. There's no question. There's still some big divides in that regard. But if you take Africa, where we're winning as a whole is that many African countries are simply skipping over the landline era of technology and jumping straight to cell phones. They're skipping roads and jumping straight to drones in terms of, you know, delivering access to medication, etc. So I think we live in this really interesting time. If you think about the, the rate at which the price points of smartphones are coming down, not Apple, you know, obviously not the premium products, but smartphones are costing less and less every couple of months. So it's just a matter of time before the average person gets rid of a feature phone, doesn't know what that thing is anymore, has access. Peter Diamandis talks about the rising billion. And I think we're perfectly poised to take advantage of that. But I'm really excited about exponential technology. Mm. And I think that it's, it's both the savior and it's the thing that's causing massive heartache for people because it's confusing. Let me yeah. give you a great example, Matt. Here's an interesting thing if you didn't know. One of the first ever TV adverts that was put on was by Barbie, right? The doll. And the doll. And the point that I'm trying to illustrate is how bad we are at understanding new technologies at first. So this is what they happened to do. The first TV advert ever by Barbie was actually an ad of the dude who did their radio adverts reading out their radio advert on TV. <laughs> so things haven't changed very much. <laughs> but that's how badly we adapt to new technologies at first because we don't understand it. You can actually see it on social media now. Most big brands are such knobs in the way they use social media. It's frightening. Mm. It's because one looks at the other and thinks, I can just shout really loud now. You know, and over time, we'll look back at some of the things we've done and we'll laugh. But I think I'm excited by what's coming our way. So, what entrepreneurship, what, sorry, what technology is doing to entrepreneurs, it's giving us reach that we've never had before. The only reason corporations exist is because they were the only entities that could do the jobs, you know, the big jobs. But these days, the fact that you and I can be talking on this show like the way we're doing, it was stuff that corporates had to do. We had to set up a massive radio booth and have satellite dishes. And now we just have the internet and two MacBooks. Mm -hmm. So... I believe that by nature of what a corporation is, it's a slow moving dinosaur. It's deteriorating because you don't need five, 10,000 people to do that job. And now entrepreneurs are able to do jobs that corporates, only corporates could do 20, 30, 50 years ago. And that's why entrepreneurship, freelancing, consulting, they are just simply the jobs of the future. The more you hear of people leaving their jobs to become an entrepreneur, it just makes sense we are on the right side of the curve. It's not to say that I look down on people who have a job. In fact, the total opposite. It's a talk that I have about we should stop looking down on people who have a job. <laughs> if you do have a job, the fact of the matter is you're on the wrong side of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you entirely. I want to talk about content for a second because you've obviously merged with Apex Media, which is your sort of content marketing play, I guess. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned to me uh, on email uh, when we were busy courting each other <laughs> was that, you, you know, uh, you said that there's a gap in the market for the kind of content that I'm putting out. Um, why, why do you think that that gap exists? It's a good question, Matt. I guess the short version is it exists because big brands 
are using channels like social media as just another distribution channel for marketing and advertising. Uh, it's similar to us. Imagine you're Nando's and I come up to you and say, there's this new thing called a website. And what we're going to do with it is we're going to take all your TV ads and radio ads, and we're just going to put them in a long linear line on your nandos.co.za website. Like, could we do it with that? Could we do that? Yes. Would that be the most efficient thing to do? No, that would be a woefully shit thing to do. But brands are still, they forget that their customers on the other end. They forget that this is like social media is a reenactment of high school and you have to give to get, you have to do something cool to be there. Mm. And the second you walk in there with that like pitch, that waitress speak, I always call it waitress speak. And they're like, hello, sir, how are you today? You will be so found out. I think that we, we've been so conditioned uh, up until now because marketing meant we had to, you know, I sell a really shit cheese. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some really great marketing together to tell you that this is a really great cheese. And if I shout it loud enough, enough people buy. And we got away with that for decades. And suddenly you can't do that anymore. If you're a shit cheese, people will know tomorrow that you're a shit cheese. <laughs> You gotta go find your cheese, people. <laughs> go and find your cheese. We'll say one of the things about advertising, dude. It's about bullshit. Advertising for many years has been about bullshit. It's about who can who can who can who can tell a better bullshit story than the next guy. Because and then what happens, ironically enough, is that you sell so much of your own bullshit that you start believing that it's true, yes. and then you forget why you're in business in the first place. But, but by that point, it's too late. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? But I, again, if you, either we were going on about entrepreneurship versus corporates in that regard, what you're starting to have now is that some little dude can come out, he can make these you know, boutique cheeses and he, he sells everything himself, handmade. He charges a premium for it. He delivers it to you with a smile. It's better quality. It's organic. It's, how, how do the big guys compete with that? The only way they do, the Unilevers, they go and buy the $1 shave club type thing. Yeah. Right? Because they can't come up with it by themselves. So I think that it's the same thing. I think that the big, the big guys who are lying are going to be caught out horribly because we live in a world where there are no secrets. Mm. If the cheese is rubbish, you will be found out. And now we've got this ability to generate like many boutique cheese stores. I think it's a matter of time before we, you know, corporate. So again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not actually anti-corporate. I'm just saying there was a time and place for big, slow moving organizations. And we don't live in that time anymore. Yeah. When coming back to your question about content, I think it's the same thing. There's a really, there's a really big gap for really meaningful content because people are after the real thing, not some, Mark, you know, we, we bombarded by marketing and advertising enough. We can't switch off billboards. We can't, we can switch off the TV. We are actually switching off the TV. We are switching off the radio. You're seeing their numbers get hurt, mm. but you know, social media, we can just switch you off. If I don't like you, whoever you are, I'll just switch you off. Yeah. And subscribe. Cheers. Unsubscribe. And, yeah. Or even worse, I'll just mute you. you know, and there's nothing worse than being muted. <laughs> you don't, on the other end, you don't even know you've been muted. <laughs> There's a whole blog post in that. Yes. <laughs> why, why being muted is worse than <laughs> an unsubscribe. Oh, funny. Okay, that's awesome. Um, so, silly question. Uh, I had this thought, right? So, I'm obviously in the informal learning space. You have a huge passion for the informal learning space. 
Then I look at my guests. There's Gareth Cliff. He's got a platform that delivers informal learning. There is um, Roger Norton, who's um, a friend of mine, old friend of mine. He runs the Lean Iterator down in Cape Town. There is basically, I can name quite a few people. So I wanted to pick your brain. I love this concept of masterminds and uh, or accountability groups or whatever you want to call them. What I'm all up for basically doing something big. And so what are your thoughts on putting together between us a kind of a mastermind group with a goal to do something really big, where there's an actual authentic, uh, quantifiable result after a period of, say, eight weeks? Okay, so Matt, now you're really talking my language. You know, I'm not just saying this. Fundamentally, I'm interested. You know, the one thing I... I joke, I laugh, I have some really strong opinions about things. But here's one thing I'm very serious about is I don't care who gets there first. Uh, I just want the issues solved. I just want to see a country and a world where, with, where it's better than what it is now. Yeah. And, and you know, we joke a lot, but that, it, it really is the thing that wakes me up every single morning. I look around at the world and it's so fucked up. And I hate seeing the, the problems and the issues that people face. And we suddenly start to live in a time where we can do something about it. We should. And so my whole platform, Suits and Sneakers, is really based on collaboration. You know, the only thing I've always said, the only reason I have to be front and center of Suits and Sneakers for this one reason is that I want to be the moral compass. So when people start telling me, you should charge for your events, no, we'll never charge for the events. I hope you understand that. Not those events. We'll never charge. That's the only time I want to be there. But what I really want to do is bring people together. So when you start talking to me about what could we be, do between us, between two platforms that have a bit of reach, mm. like that gets, me, that gets me so excited. I love the idea of working with people. I think it is easier said than done. I think you know that. Yeah. Because people are busy. People have their own agendas. Um, but am I game for it? Not even a question. Cool. Because that's, I mean, to your point, one of the main reasons why I started digital kung fu was to connect people through information sharing and connect them like through the podcast with other entrepreneurs who are doing cool things and ultimately to create uh, an open network that is fundamentally collaborative in nature because no man is an island no business can create the kind of change at scale the way that well not in other words one business can if you're fucking lucky like google right sure. but at a grassroots level, if you want to do it fast and at scale and at doing things quickly, then you need to collaborate. And that's what this whole network through digital Kung Fu or entrepreneur Kung Fu was all about. Yeah. And, and Matt, again, I, like I literally can't, uh, I know we don't want to go back there, but I can't sing your praises enough. There aren't enough people who, you know how many people I've heard talk about starting podcasts? <laughs> There's a million people. I promise you, I hear it every single day of my life because I talk about podcasts a lot. But how many people are actually doing it? And then the fact that you went and got those guests on the way you did. Actually, one of the first podcasts I listened to of yours, by the way, was with Alon Rays. Yeah, he's and awesome. I, I love him because the man, we, him and I get along very well. He spoke at a Suits and Sneakers before. And again, he's built for collaboration and fostering entrepreneurship. So I, your platform, you and your platform, you just keep going and doing what you're doing. Like, um, even, even though Suits and Sneakers, by the way, is obviously starting a podcast, like there's, people are allowed to have plenty of favorites and that's the beauty of this whole thing. Yeah. You have my word that I'll be punting your show 
I have been. I've been telling the world. So, <laughs> so you'll have me telling the world about your show. Yeah, thanks, dude. You know what? You just pinged. We mentioned Elon there. He was talking about suits and sneakers. Is he like an investor in it? No, no, no. He, uh, I approached him October last year to speak at an event. Okay. Uh, at the second big one that we had in November. Right. Um, and then he really has just been so helpful to me, as busy as he is. He lets me go see him probably about once every four weeks. And he just, we just talk. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he mentors me as such, but, but he does offer me valuable advice. And we just catch up and we talk about the world. And every time I walk away from Elon, I feel 10 times more centered. Yeah. That he has that effect on people. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that was one of the first shows you listened to because it's definitely one of my favorites because to be honest, I never actually thought I would get access to him. <laughs> it's a funny thing that's eh? Well, Matt, anybody I can give you access to, I'm working with some interesting people as we speak. So cool. you and I will be cross-platforming hard. A lot. Yeah, I know. I'm all ears, dude. Okay, cool. Listen, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions and then I will let you get back to running your life, dude. Thank okay. You. Are you ready? Um, here we go. If you could put your entrepreneurial journey onto a billboard, what would that billboard say? Yeah, there's no question to me. Just get started. I, I just tell the world, like, there's no magic to it other than getting started and having a go. Mm. I look at all the common denominators of most, across most businesses and people, even you, again, a guy who just bought, didn't wait for everything to be perfect, just got started. So, yeah, that would be my message. Cool. By the way, you're completely shit when you start, so get comfortable with being shit. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can not be shit, then... Try not to be shit. <laughs> just listen to my first shows. It was like tongue twisted and fuck my life. <laughs> okay, cool. Next question for you. What three things are you not great at? Oh, well done. Uh, I could list about 30. Uh, three. One, I'm really not good at getting back to my emails as much as I'd like to. Uh, and in fact, in admin in general, and the irony is that I'm actually incredible with little detail, but I've just gotten to like a point in my life where it's just trivial bullshit. So I'm trying to get people, I'm trying to like pad my life with people around me that do care about the little things, uh, because that's a good partnership to have. One, Edmund. Two, I'm not good at going slow, which is a good thing and a bad thing because I've got myself into tons of hot water because I just go, I guess what is starting to happen is as I'm getting older, I still have zero aversion to risk. I just assess risk a little bit better. Uh, so I think that can be a bad thing sometimes. And then I would say three, I'm really bad at, at, at lying or, or being honest or being politically correct. I struggle with it. I, I struggle to look at people in the eye and listen to their bullshit and not call them on it. And I know that no one's perfect. So I don't want to be that guy that's always trying to point out your, your flaws. But you know, when, some, when something is blatantly bullshit, I can't help myself. Uh, I, I'm that guy. Yeah. So I, I just can't. I, I, I literally struggle. Yeah. I, like, I get, you know what? <laughs> do you know what people tell me? Like, people give me advice. What the most common advice people give me is. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Matt, whatever you do, don't be yourself. 
<laughs> because I'm exactly the same. If like, if things, if something's not fucking right, it's not right. And I don't care if you are like a number one international best-selling author, if you spin bullshit, I'll call you on it. Yes. You know, and that's how you know you're being real, or at least you're getting to the truth of what's actually happening because there's so much bullshit out there that people, like I said earlier, people start believing their own bullshit. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's I like, listen, hey, just shut the fuck up and actually let's, let's talk facts here. Yes. And then it's like, yeah, but you're calling me a liar. I'm not calling you a liar. I'm giving you the facts. <laughs> you're wrong, you know, but that's not like I'm doing that all the time, but anyway. no, no, no. But still, <laughs> so you and I are very similar in that yeah, sense. Kind of yeah. <laughs> Funny. Okay, cool. Next one. What do people never ask you that you wish they did? Yeah. You know, because I guess most people see me on the front foot in a big way. People never ask me if I'm nervous or if I, or what I struggle with. And I guess a thing that I'm, I'm, a, I'm big on is confidence. I am a naturally confident human being. And I know the world works that if you exude that confidence, that, you know, people will pick up on that and you can create a lot from confidence. But I think that we never talk enough about people certainly don't ask me where I got it wrong or um, what am I nervous about? What am I scared about? You know, sometimes when I go to bed at night, I'm shit scared about certain things. Um, falling down. I'll never talk about it. Not openly. I'll never, I'll never start a conversation by telling you what I'm scared about. Yeah. I, I guess it, it's just, it's, it's just, it doesn't suit me and it's not good for what I do. But yeah, I wish, I wish I could have more conversations with people in general um, about what they're scared, about what they woefully got wrong. In fact, at our co-working space, we're starting an event. We're not the first people around the world to do this, but we're calling it fuck up nights. You literally get up and you stand and you talk about all the things you fucked up. No, nothing about what you've done well. Only things that you've messed up. And um, I think there's massive value in that. Yeah, that's cool. I really like that. Um, right. So <clears throat> what problem do you face every day that nobody else has solved yet? Um, you solved that nobody solved for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's hard to get a little bit more time in the day. That would, that would help. You know, clearly it seems 24 is not enough and uh, sleep is a, is a ball ache. On a serious note, I think I sometimes get so caught up in this mission. You know, when you feel like you are the guy that needs to go out there, be there and do it. I think a thing that I haven't quite worked out to, to do is how to be as busy as we are as a business. And how do you make my staff feel ridiculously appreciated? Um, I th and I think that's all that staff really want. They want progress and they want appreciation. And I, and I think we're quite good at it, by the way, but I never feel like we are doing enough for our staff. I always have this paranoia. God help me if they're listening. I always have this paranoia that they're going to up and leave because they're not appreciated enough. Or they just go, you know what? I could be doing this for myself. Yeah. I'll give you one piece of advice. Um, there is people don't leave businesses. They leave people. And if, so your appreciation is what you, it's the fact, I hope that they are listening because then they would know what your motivations are. 
And as long as people know and are clear with what your motivations are, then there's this almost uh, there's this reciprocity thing that happens. It's like yeah. you're doing something for them anyway, just by simply showing them or being honest with them that you actually care. But you know, that's never the business or the type of business or what they're and very rarely it's what they're doing. But if you implement enough, you know, sort of systems and processes in any business, you will uncover what that is. And if you uncover what that is, then, you know, it's perhaps that will help you kind of maybe lessen that uh, fear, I guess. Seriously, I appreciate it. Cool, dude. Um, when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? I'm obviously a massive Elon Musk fan. I know that's very cliched, but sometimes cliches are cliches, I guess, for a reason. Yeah. I look at a guy like that. I love, you know, I just finished reading his book. There's part of me that feels sorry for him, but like he's so, he's changing the world and he doesn't care about money and he doesn't care about stuff. Money is just a means to an end to him. So I think about people like that. I think about people like, um, like I love, I love my uncle. He's a, been a business mentor to me. He just seems to have this balance. You know, some people are just switched on. Their family loves them. Their staff love them. People People attract to them. He's just like a solid human being. I'm, I'm, I'm probably attracted. I know these two sound very contradictive. Someone like an Elon Musk who's, who's got zero balance. I, I see him as kind of a, as an element of success, but I also see people, people who have managed to achieve ultimate balance in their lives. Like I think those people are highly successful because mm-hmm. they, you know, they walk away going, you know, money really, how much money do you really need? You don't have to be the richest person. You could be a multi-bazillionaire without being the richest person, but still have a family that you love. You know, still have a social life, still travel and see the world. Cool. Amazing. Um, last question for you, pal. Uh, what is your why as an entrepreneur? My why? I don't care about money. I mean, I know money is important. My why is I have to see this country be better. I have to. I just, it's, it's not in a good place as we speak. I'm not one to promote negative news, but it's not in a good place. And We've got, to, we've got to get this place to being an equal, a more equal society. It's just got to be better. We've all got to live a better life. I'm so tired of living behind burglar bars. I'm tired of opening up the news and reading shitty stories. My why is I have to change that. I don't care who does it with me. The more the merrier. But like I wake up every single day obsessed, fucking blindly obsessed with fixing that. And that, that for me is the, I guess edu- the only reason I'm so obsessed with education is I think it's one of the really good tools you can use to fix inequality. I just live in this utopian world in my head. It's that idealist mentality. That's my why. I just want the pictures in my head to be the pictures I see in real life. And then I'd be a happy human being. Mm-hmm. Generally, those pictures that run through your head do kind of happen in real life. But, uh, <laughs> but mate, that's an amazing, amazing insights into who you are i think it's incredibly compelling i think it's amazing that you're so purpose-driven i think it's exactly the same you know sort of character trait that you described in elon musk and to be honest with you this why question is the same question i ask all the guys on the show um and invariably everyone that's really making a dent in the world and making a change or making a difference to others um always have a very similar kind of rhetoric which is they want to make a difference but yours in particular mate is incredible and i'm very excited and humbled to um, have had the time with you today and yeah i'm excited to see what we can do together 
Absolutely. And Matt, thank you. So I, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for having me. What a privilege. I listened to all those episodes and I'm going to be on one of them. That's going to be super cool. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, Paul, we'll let you go back to, uh, to your, your life, mate. And, but thanks again and uh, all the best. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, man. This is just a quick message to all of you who have not yet gone to digitalkungfu.co.za to register and sign up to join the Digital Kung Fu community. If you do that right now, I will send you some free training. It's uh, some stuff I've developed specifically for entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, I like to kill my subscribers with kindness, so to speak. Um, But yeah, the main reason is it gives me a way to communicate with you and to get to know you personally a bit better. So if you haven't done so, please do that now. And so until next time, keep hustling with Digital Kung Fu. Remember that the Digital Kung Fu Show is now on iTunes, so head on over there now and leave us a review. You can also catch the Digital Kung Fu Show on Player.fm, Stitcher, and CliffCentral.com. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.